Hello my friends, this is Alex. Welcome to Socialism Survival Podcast number 78. First of all, I wanted to tell you that uh, it looks like I will not have for a while the definite day for a podcast release as I have many other, especially family, responsibilities. But at least uh, I have one podcast every week, as uh, you expect. Well, we finally arrived to the subject that I was delaying for a long time. Subject that has so much in it that it won't fit in a single show. There will be at least three episodes on this subject. Maybe more if I will be able to furnish one or two interviews. In this show I will talk about historic connections between socialism and Islam. Let history speak after the following short segment of virtual housekeeping and community organizing. I'd like to remind you my website socialismsurvival.com which is also my online headquarters. If you wish to contact me my email is podcast at socialismsurvival.com If you prefer to speak there is a Google Voice system on my website for you to call. I will be glad to hear from you, your comments, suggestions and questions. They are important to me. At my website you will find also all previously recorded podcasts, all my social connections like Facebook, Twitter, Google Friends Connect, and a lot of all the helpful information and things like my blog, links to this podcast on iTunes and Microsoft Zoom, list of books I recommend with direct links to buy them on Amazon. If you are a frequent Amazon or Walmart online shopper, please consider to start your shopping there from my website. By doing that, you will help the show. If you want to stop socialism from taking control over America, please help me to reach more people. Link to my website from your sites and blogs. Share with others about this place of common sense, Socialism Survival Podcast. Why it is so important to talk about Islam on Socialism Survival Show? What Socialism and Islam have in common? How they are historically related? Which form of Socialism is more acceptable for Muslims? Or which form of Islam is more acceptable for Socialists? Why we are seeing today the atheistic Socialism and religion of Islam on one side and Judaism with Christianity on the other side. If the answers to these questions are something you've been looking for, then keep listening to this show and the following shows and uh, parts of this subject. The fact that the term 
Islamic socialism exists means there is a connection. And not just a recent or current one. I'm talking about murky and questionable American president and his entourage. But also deeply historical connection, starting with Mahmoud ibn Abdullah, the founder of Islam. Let's look at some facts of his life, not just for a purpose of learning his biography, it's the last thing I would be interested in, but for a purpose of digging out the roots of socialism-Islam connection and what it means for the world we live in. Muhammad was born in the year 570 in the Arabian city of Mecca. He was orphaned at an early age. Through his life he suffered from epileptic seizures. He worked mostly as a merchant and a shepherd and married his first wife, 40 years old wealthy widow when he was 25. So she was 15 years older than him. Probably that woman knew how to treat men and also to keep him on a leash because after her death he had at least 10 other wives. The numbers of his wives differ from one source to another. One of his wives, Asia, his name is Asia. He married her when she was only nine or ten years old. One of his wives, Sophia, was of the Jewish descent. Another time he married his daughter-in-law while in defense of it, presenting another revelation of convenience that became a part of the Quran in Surah number 33. At some point in his life, while he was married to his first wife, Muhammad adopted the practice of meditating alone for several weeks every year in a cave on Mount Hira near Mecca. According to Islamic tradition, during one of his visits to Mount Hira, the angel Gabriel appeared to him in the year 610 and gave him his first revelations. In Mecca, there is a center of Islamic worship, Kaaba, most revered place by every Muslim who at least one in his lifetime, even once, must perform Hajj or pilgrimage to that cube-shaped building with a sacred black stone in its southeast or maybe closer to east, the corner in the corner of east, southeast. 
All Muslims around the world face the Kaaba during their prayers, no matter where they are. In the times of Muhammad, it was the place of idolatry and contained 360 idols in there. It was dedicated to Hubal, one of these Arab tribal idols, and the name of another of their so-called gods that was worshipped there was Allah, whom pagan Meccans revered as the creator deity, possibly the supreme deity in pre-Islamic Arabia. According to historical accounts, the Kaaba structure was there hundreds years, or maybe even some say thousands years before the birth of Muhammad. Although Muslims believe that it was built by Abraham himself. When Muhammad began to preach his new religion, the people of Mecca, in its majority, rejected him, and he had to flee to Medina, along with his followers. At that time, Medina was torn by conflicts between different clans, including powerful Arab and Jewish clans, and its residents accepted Muhammad as their chief arbitrator for the entire community. Among the first things Muhammad did in Medina was drafting a document known as the Constitution of Medina, establishing a kind of alliance of, or federation among the eight Medinian tribes and Muslim emigrants from Mecca. In other words, Muhammad was elevated to the position of a dictator who skillfully drafted the constitution that defined so-called Ummah. Remember this word, Ummah. The kind of a community that in fact was the establishment of the first Islamic state. Of course, in the beginning, neither Arabs nor Jews suspected that what kind of results of Muhammad's arrival will be. While other tribes held all the businesses in Medina, Muslims who fled Mecca didn't have anything to provide for themselves. In addition, their properties in Mecca were seized. According to Surah al-Hajj, it permitted Muslims to fight their enemies by attacking Meccan merchant caravans. The Quranic verses of that period dealt with practical problems of uh, government and uh, issues like the distribution of spoils. Sounds familiar. We go forth. Those who fought on Muhammad's side were receiving their rewards. To encourage men to join his gang, Muhammad promised 
to those who would die a very lavish life with 72 virgins in paradise, while those who survived the battles received the women of the conquered tribes as their reward. Enriching themselves by armed robberies of caravans, Muslims were taking more and more over the life of Medina. They used their propaganda combined with carrot and stick approach to gather more and more converts into their religion. Muhammad even tried to win a favor of Jews and their recognition of him as a prophet of God by marrying a Jewish woman. However, their rejection and insistence that the prophet must be one of them made Muhammad mad at them. And in subsequent years, he destroyed these Jewish clans by organized massacres. Fearing that the same fate awaits them too, the remaining Arab clans of Medina converted to Islam. Gaining enough strength, Muhammad led his army back to Mecca, conquered it and rededicated Kaaba. Yes, the same place full of idols that was worshipped as idolatry. He rededicated it as a central place of worship for all Muslims and to only God, Allah, removing all other idols from there. Through the ages, Islam was gaining more influence and more converts using the same methods of violence. In the 20th century, as socialism was spreading around the world, we saw the violence of Islam re-emerging with a renewed hatred to everyone and everything non-Islamic, especially towards Jews. As the establishment of Jewish national home in their historical land was becoming a reality, so grew the opposition, hatred and violence. In 1921, another Muhammad named Muhammad Amin al-Husseini was made the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem. He was a passionate anti-Semite who called to kill the Jews wherever you find them and collaborated with the Nazis during World War II. In 1937, after leading the Arab revolt and wanted by the British, he fled Palestine and ended up in Nazi Germany where he met Hitler in 1941. According to the American declassified report, Al-Husseini energetically recruited Muslims for the SS, the Nazi party's elite military command. He was promised 
that he would be installed as the leader of Palestine after German troops had driven out the British and exterminated the more than 350,000 Jews living there. Soviet Union, through its representatives, initially voted for the 1947 UN partition plan and establishment of Israel, but based on the hopes of creating there another socialist state. But their hopes were not confirmed and even faded because of Israel's alliance with America. That motivated them to side with Palestinian Arabs, who of course were Muslims. There is a comprehensive account of Soviet PLO relations from the formation of the PLO, Palestinian Liberation Organization, in 1964 to the disintegration of the Soviet Union in 1991. And I have many historical accounts that I will not be able to speak about here a lot, but I know a man who personally met well-known Yasser Arafat in Moscow. And this man, whom I know he was Jewish, when Yasser Arafat saw him, he grabbed him and began to shake him as a madman. At that time, Yasser Arafat was a young man. He was studying in Moscow. That terrorist number one, as you should know, who is Yasser Arafat. Let's draw parallels between the Islam and socialism using the historic accounts of Muhammad and Islam I just described here. First, both socialism and Islam have dark origins. In spite of both trying to cover their ideologies and uh, bad intentions with so-called good intentions, there are other accounts as well. Socialism originated from hell. As I explained to you in Socialism Survival Podcast number 16, Evil Roots of Socialism, using the book of Richard Wurmbrand, Marx and Satan. Go and listen that or read that book. You can buy it from my website. The revelations of Muhammad also have other than Quran accounts. Armenian historic sources of that time, 7th century, describe that the sorcerer was in the cave of Hira and that sorcerer had incredible spiritual power when was taken into a trance by the evil spirit. Muhammad was so impressed by the sorcerer when visited him. Muhammad, who suffered from epileptic seizures since his childhood 
and from inferiority complex as the man whose only significance was being married to a wealthy woman. So the window of opportunity to raise his own profile, to enhance his own importance and self-esteem. He murdered the sorcerer, removed his body and took his place in the cave. Instantly he was filled with the spirits and fell into a trance. While he was in that condition, Muhammad was finally discovered and he told confused and impressed family and friends about his supernatural experience and the history of Islam began with many other murders and massacres in the name of Allah. Both socialism and Islam use violence to grab more power. Both think it is okay to rob the rich. Both believe in redistribution of stolen wealth. As I mentioned in the beginning, there is a hybrid of Islam and socialism called Islamic socialism. Muslim socialists believe that the teachings of the Quran and Muhammad are compatible with principles of equality and the redistribution of wealth. Some Orientalists believe that there exists a number of parallels between Islamic and communist economics. The concept of welfare and pension were introduced in early Islamic law. The first experimental Islamic commune was established during the Lenin's Socialist Revolution of 1917 and was an early supporter of the Soviet government. The Muslim Socialist Committee of Kazan was also active at that time. While during the Reformation there were more critique voices with the growth of socialism in the beginning and middle of 20th century, we find more voices of praise and appeasement to Muhammad and Islam. Listen to this woman, Annie Besant, who was women's rights activist, involved with union organizers, birth control, Fabian society, and Freemasonry. Here what was written by her in the life and teachings of Muhammad in 1932. She says, It is impossible for anyone who studies the life and character of the great prophet of Arabia, who knows 
how he taught and how he lived to feel anything but reverence for that mighty prophet, one of the great messengers of the Supreme. She meant God, but I'm pretty sure they have a different Supreme. George Bernard Shaw, another socialist of 20th century, another member of Fabian society, predicted in his book, The Genuine Islam, in 1936, he said, wonderful man, and in my opinion, far from being an antichrist, he must be called the savior of humanity. I believe that if a man like him were to assume the dictatorship of the modern world, he would succeed in solving its problems in a way that would bring it the much-needed peace and happiness. <laughs> About solving what kind of problems, says this bastard. You would understand it better if you knew that such defender of Islam and Muhammad as Shaw was a proponent of the theory of eugenics that believed in the improvement of the human race through selective reproduction and extermination. Shaw once said, we should find ourselves committed to killing a great many people whom we now live living. Shaw also called for the development of a deadly but humane gas for the purpose of killing many of those unfit to live. Eugenics had been adopted by the National Socialists of Germany which led many innocent people to gas chambers in Hitler's death camps. National Socialist Adolf Hitler was so thrilled to have in his ranks the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem, Muslim Muhammad Amin al-Husseini, that he paid him absolute fortune of 50,000 marks a month when a German field marshal was making 25,000 marks a year. That was for the work of eugenics in progress, for the extermination of Jews and purifying the human race, something Hitler understood that Mufti learned well from his religion of Islam. As you can see, socialism 
including both versions from Soviet Union and Germany, didn't waste their time learning from so-called great prophet how to control population, how to use the power and intimidation in order to achieve agreement and obedience of people's majority. And you can see now that as socialism wasn't just political system, but oppressive atheist religion. So the Islam wasn't just a religion, but oppressive political system. And it still is today in the countries dominated either by socialism or Islam. Although they might look slightly different, they have the same goals which is total domination over the world and the same means of achieving it, which is aggression, violence and abuse. As I explained to you in podcast number 76, talking about socialist ideology, only today it applies to both socialism and Islam. Frankly, their alliance looks for me like same-sex marriage, and I oppose both. But unlike same-sex marriage, which is incapable of reproduction, it looks like the marriage of socialism and Islam will bring forth the Antichrist. And who knows, maybe the phrase from Quran, Ummah Wahida, the one community, literally means the new world order under the rule of Mahdi, the last of the 12 Imams. That's it for this week. Let God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob bless you. Tune in next week when you will hear again the voice of common sense, your socialism survival host, Alex.